You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Thank you, David. This morning we're going to be reading out of Acts today. And I want to ask you, you can join me. The words of Acts will be printed on the screen, and they're also in your Bible. We're going to be coming from Acts 4, 32 through 35. And, and just a segue before I read, if there are children here prepared to go to Children's Church today, Miss Julie's hanging out at the back. I see many of them running on out right now. You can go meet her at the back of the sanctuary for a special time of worship. Thank you, Julie. And so we're in Acts 4, 32 through 35. Read along with me. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. And with great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, and as for many, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And so we've had some great weeks, have we not? We have walked through this great sermon series, The Savior, those six different views of the cross. We talked about, Matt talked with us about, well, Jesus, and what else would there be to talk about if we're talking about the cross other than Jesus? And he talked about how Jesus takes our place. He sets us free. He shows us how to live. He restores our relationships. He gives us victory. He makes us clean. And so today, we're going to talk about the unifying power of the resurrection. And you know, and I'm, I'm so drawn to the book of Acts, I love it. I think Acts, I know that Acts teaches us that very vital period in Christian history between the resurrection of Jesus and the life and teachings of the Apostle Paul and in the times when the Christian ideas and beliefs were being formulated and when the organization of the church and its worldwide movement was being developed, this is the birth of our church. This is when it all happened. And so through these writings of Luke, you can see that it's the power of the Holy Spirit that's leading them, guiding them, empowering, equipping, and revealing God's will to the people so that they can participate in his effort to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, Luke makes it abundantly clear that God did not leave the early disciples to their own devices. And I believe, and I think that you may have even heard this before, that we are the continuation, those continued chapters of Acts as we live out our days and purpose ourselves in obedience to God. You know, I, I want to I thank Sarah Douay again. Uh, she's on staff here. She's an amazing artist, graphic artist. And we had all these, these paintings for Holy Week and Easter. They're beautiful. And it, they're physical, what we call physical iterations. Iterations are just a a repetition of a process in order to generate an outcome. And so these iterations, and I, I, I thought we would just have this one on the altar, but we have all three today. There's a pamphlet outside that if you, for any reason, had trouble just kind of discerning these paintings, then 
take the pamphlet. It's, it's, it's wonderful. And it gives kind of her artistic explanation of these, these works. But the painting on the far left over there was one that she developed and created for Maundy Thursday, that Holy Thursday. And they, you can see the table is set for the 12 disciples gathered around it. We see the bread and the cup and the body and the blood, and we see life shared together. That's what Holy Thursday was. We had Good Friday and talking about the death, and that's, that's the one over here. And we see gray skies of a dark day. We see divinity and humanity converging on what's called the cruciform, and that's just that cross shape. And we see blood spilled and the death and the stone rolling in front of the tomb. And then today, on this, uh, th then this one, Easter Sunday, last Sunday, we see the blue skies of a brighter day, right? Divinity and humanity rising in the resurrected body. Having overcome death and the stone and the blood are now behind it. The three persons of the Holy Trinity, you can see them there. Vibrant resurrection of all that had come before. Now alive again in what she says is a new form. Well, you know, last Sunday, I, I don't know about you, I, I felt an incredible energy in this place, the body of Christ alive in a new form, if you will. We've been kind of in a new form, haven't we, for a while. We still have to be careful, considerate of each other. We're still in pandemic mode, protecting each other, but yet we were able to come together and we were able to worship in a new form and worship the living Christ we did. You know, the word unity just rang in my head as my thoughts of this last year just kind of rolled through. My memories of everything that we've come through as this church, my life, personally, so many of us just walking through days that even just beyond pandemic seemed extraordinary. And as my week began on Monday and my thoughts just continued, I really remained kind of standing in front, if you will, Sarah's painting. I, this painting, the one here on the table. I was kind of nudged to realize that I just wanted to talk more about it. You know, and in staff meeting, I asked Sarah, I said, can we keep that painting, that one? Can we keep it on the table? I'd like to just talk about it just a little bit more. And then I found out that, well, it's ours. It's Asbury's now. And so we got to keep it. And then the, the bonus was, the blessing was, we actually still have all three. And I know that Sarah, as an artist, appreciates when we can, when we look at art, when you and I look at their art, and we feel how it, express, how it is expressed to us individually, how that art speaks to us. And it is a beautiful iteration of Easter Sunday. There's no doubt about that. But for me, it's also a picture of the post-resurrection mission of the church. I see unity. I see a unity of grace. And you know, the Trinity walking with us on those unknown paths and even seemingly separate paths to that beautiful pinnacle of unity that you can see on that painting so much behind us and yet we're so formed and informed by the truth of our days this year and the truth of the cross the stone and the blood now behind us and the blue skies are ahead and that's the eternal optimist in me there's always going to be a blue sky ahead so much behind us and we remember and we talk of those good old days, don't we? And we wish for them. And I realize that, and we can realize maybe today, maybe today we can realize that this today is a good old day right now. 
in a new form. I was reminded what I, as I was thinking about that expression, good old days of a show that I used to watch. Now, I'm going to say, and I just need you to understand completely that I was very young. I'm just going to say that right up front because so, there's going to be some of you that know what I'm talking about. There's this, there's this show, a clip of the show. It's the, uh, you know, just kind of as you come into this show and there's a viewer, there's a car driving slowly through a neighborhood. And you can see as the car's driving through, there's neat bungalow houses. And in the background, there's a man and a woman whose names would become, come to be known as Archie and Edith were belting out a song. Now, they didn't sing it well, and I, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a shot. And, but I don't think I'll do any worse maybe than, than they did. And if you know who I'm talking about, you know they don't sing well, but they sing with joy. And they said, it said this. Let's see. <laughs> Boy, the way Glenn Miller played songs that made the hit parade. Guys like us, we had it made. Those were the days. So some of us remember that, right? that theme song that set the stage for that comedy show called All in the Family, in where Archie Bunker struggled with the challenges of the 1960s and 70s, and all the while longing for a world in which things were clearer, simpler, easier, easier to understand. So, you know, playing the nostalgia game, longing for the good old days, uh, it, it's just often a part of church life, especially in mainline congregations, you hear the stories of how things were kind of back in the day. And, you know, just generally speaking, we hear, you know, the churches were full, Sunday school programs were packed with adults as well as kids. There were four choirs for the children and the youth, and everyone happily contributed to the unified mission. Nostalgia is not such a bad thing. I have nostalgic moments all the time, certainly in this place, and certainly last Sunday, when the day began and we gathered in that prayer garden outside and in that prayer chapel. You know, there, a fact that many of you may not know is that that prayer chapel out there in that beautiful prayer garden, many of the nails that hammered that thing together were hammered in by my late husband, Tom. And my son was also part of it. That was back when, now I won't say a long time ago, Angela, we won't but it was back when Angela was the youth director and my son Stephen was in youth with her and they got out there and they were pretty active and busy and my son's initials are actually carved in the corner of that foundation and that concrete foundation. So anyone who has hummed those great words, you know, those were the days or even said it, is remembering the days that seem simpler, clearer, easier to understand. Hindsight is 2020, I think. And then sometimes these thoughts just simply bring a warmth to your soul just by remembering. And so just let's consider for a moment, if we will, just these passages and acts along the, into the backdrop, just the backdrop of nostalgia. And, you know, that sentimental longing for things that are gone by. And when we read these verses, we can think, well, those, those were the days. You know, that picture painted by Luke here kind of glowed off the page said this, it said, the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possession. There was not a needy person among them. You know, apparently there was a remarkable willingness to give up private ownership and share with others in need, a vision of a faith community being of one heart and soul. It's a beautiful vision. And then you can kind of almost see this and, and think, well, could that really be possible? Is that really, were they really of one heart and soul? 
It'd be super easy to dismiss a passage like this or even use it to critique uh, that tendency that we have to romanticize that bygone error rather than to deal with that hard reality of that really very contemporary uh, situation, even here today. And so let's be careful. I have to tell myself to be careful not to do that because doing so, dismissing it that way, would be to overlook that potential of this text to make us think deeply about the effect of Jesus' resurrection, what it might actually have on our lives. So just a little, you know, just a little seminary, you know, as I was reading through my commentaries and just kind of remembering, you know, there's a lot of ways that they kind of clump up and kind of categorize some of these uh, pieces of the, of the scriptures that were written. And this particular passage is called a summary statement. Um, it's, a, it's a description that Luke uses both in just not only his gospel, the gospel of Luke, but also here in Acts to cover like a number of events and to provide a kind of a transition to the next story. And so just a little bit earlier in Luke uh, 4, 14 through 15, he's describing the beginning there of Jesus' ministry and then provides a kind of a bridge and a summary uh, from his baptism to his sermon in Nazareth. And then it goes on to provide summaries of Jesus' ministry and glimpses into the community of the disciples. And so the other function of these summary statements is to provide the reader with a reminder of that principal theme that Luke is developing in his narrative. That principal theme being simple, but yet complex. It's that Jesus is the prophet who proclaims the nearness of the reign of God and who gives evidence to it. And so when we think in the context of a summary in this Acts 32 through 35, you know, this can be seen as a summary statement providing continuity, just that bridge between the ministry of Jesus and that of the early church that I talked about in the very beginning. If the year of the Lord's favor, that jubilee year is what they called it in Acts 4, then Acts 4 really is kind of the reenactment of it. The Jubilee year was when all debts were forgiven, that there was enough for everyone, no one was in need any longer, and the community reached out to provide the means of sustainable life for everyone. And so the sign of God's reign in Acts is the creation of a new community where life for everyone is sustained. So Luke reports that in the beginning of Acts 4, so we're just backing up to the beginning of Acts 4, just to bring some context to that heart and soul, that whole heart and soul thing. Acts 4, that he said that that community of believers had grown to like 5,000 members. So it's like we've got a megachurch, you know, the very first megachurch. And after that, uh, confrontation was ha happened between Jesus' disciples and some of the religious leaders of the city. And Luke tells us that when they, the followers of Jesus, had prayed, that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. That's verse 31. And so now, assuming that Luke is describing that whole group of 5,000 people, 5,000 believers, this is a remarkable statement about that first century congregation in Jerusalem. You know, as these believers emerge from that Pentecost event, that's that, you know, when the Holy Spirit came down, uh, that was, it was recorded in Acts 2. We, can you, it's hard for me to imagine the diversity of the different ethnic groups, ideological attitudes, theological points of view represented in this group. Yet Luke tells us, he's an eyewitness, he tells us that these people were of one 
heart and soul, verse 32. How else could that have happened except through the unifying power and reconciling peace of the Holy Spirit that had been released and was now at work among them? And you know, don't we need to hear that today? Every day, perhaps, in the Christian church, in our lives, the Holy Spirit has been released and is now at work stirring our hearts to receive God's gift of unity in the midst of our diversity. You know, in verse 33, Luke makes it clear that the source of this extraordinary behavior is the resurrected Jesus. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and with great grace and great grace was upon them all. You know, we are living at the dawn of the 21st century during a time of painful transitions and harmful divisions among congregations and denominations within our country, within the United States, and with other nations. On this second Sunday of Easter, it's the clear and compelling message is the unity in the midst of diversity that we can thank God for. The Spirit knows our hearts and intercedes when we pray. And when we pray, especially those words, Lord, create a clean heart within me, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. One of my favorite verses, Psalm 5110. You know, the Lord calls us in humility to confess our sins and to identify and reconcile ourselves not only with other Christians, but also with all of God's human family on earth. United we stand, it says. You know, verse 32 and 34 and 35, they're kind of the bookends. They're the literary frame for what we're reading today. Verse 33 stands at the center. And of course, it provides the gospel. It says, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus is the great power behind the signs and wonders that the community had witnessed. It is the source of the authority bestowed on the preaching of the apostles. It is the power that bursts the church and defines its mission. You know, the imperative of this mission, however, is not only to proclaim the resurrection gospel, but also to embody that redemptive truth by caring for one another in ways that secure the fullness of life that God intended. Toward that end, verse 33 does more than declare that great power of the resurrection. It celebrates that great grace that sustains us and sustains its principal vision. You know, the resurrection is the demonstration of the power of God over all the powers of sin, death, and destruction in the world. It's also the power to transform the lives of those who believe. The unity of grace, the unity through grace, present then, present now. In this contemporary post-Easter, post-resurrection, they call it season, call it common times on our calendar, on the Methodist calendar, on the, uh, you know, the efforts of the church, well, that's you and me, the church, need to be directed to helping people see concrete glimpses into the power of God's transforming presence in this. And as we search for examples, it's well to remember that according to Luke, the most dramatic sign of resurrection power was a community where there was not a needy person among them. 
Resurrection clearly is not just about praise. It's about bringing life to the possibility of unity among what seems like overpowering diversity. Easter Sunday was a great day. It's an amazing day. Today is a great day. It's a good old day. There's a deep and profound presence of the Spirit in this place. The Spirit of grace, such a stunning connection of our collective hearts and worship. It's all in all of our diversity. You know, we do find ourselves from wherever we worship, unified in a new form. Let it be so as we walk together in this not so common time. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, let us be people of radical availability, just as God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are for us. Father God, we have heard and know that Jesus took our place, set us free, showed us how to live, restores our relationships, makes us clean. May we be a people that allow the resurrected power of Christ to be the energy we need to be unified in grace, to see the unity of grace in our lives. Abandoned generosity is hard, God. It calls for ongoing responsiveness, mutual involvement in the lives of the community members, and continual willingness to hold possessions loosely, valuing the relationships with the community more than the security of possessions. Empower us, O oh God. Speak to our individual hearts as we live into your call upon our lives. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.